John 15. I, we've, it's been a couple of weeks since we studied John, so or has it? No, I, that's, I don't know. I don't know. I slept a couple of times and, and not that well. So I, sometime or another, we were in the book of John. And we were in chapter 14. And when we were there, whenever that was, because I really don't know, uh, we uh, were coming at the end of Jesus' Last Supper with His disciples and things He wanted them to know. Okay, so He had washed their feet. He had told them uh, how much He loved them, shown them by His actions how much He loved them through that whole supper and through the way that He served them in, in a very humble and caring way in washing their feet. He had told them, warned them, that He was about to be betrayed that night, immediately. He had reminded them, as He had several times, that He was going to die. And He had reminded them that that would not be the end, but that the resurrection would come. In 14, He reminds them, and again, uh, that He is not going to leave them all alone. That while He will no longer be in the flesh, He will leave His Spirit as a comforter, as a, as a guide for them. So that's John 14. And that was, that was where we were last time. And so, as they leave the room, they, they, they've had their dinner. He's, he's told them all these things and reminded them of all these things. And then they have, have celebrated what we call the first of the Lord's Suppers. Uh, and then they had sang a song, because Christians like to sing songs, right? Jesus did too. And uh, that's why we do. And they sang a song together and they left. As they left, they go down the hill, the Jerusalem's hills that Ju Jerusalem is on, they cross through the Kidron Valley over to where they're going to go up, back up into the Garden and the Mount of Olives and all of that, where He's going to be betrayed. As they're walking along the way, they're passing through vineyards. This is part of the scenery that they would have seen. So you can imagine as we're about to read this, and He talks about Him being the true vine, the Father is the gardener, we're the branches, that these are not just abstract metaphors that they knew nothing about. For us, I don't know how many people here have ever spent much time in a vineyard. I'd ask you to raise your hands, but it's a church Christ. You're not supposed to admit it, right? So, whatever. But, I'm kidding. I think. I'm kidding for three of you and not kidding for the rest of you. Is that the way that works? Uh, but I, I didn't look at Curly because I just, just you were just handy right there. Uh, I'll look over here now. Benny. <laughs> the, whoever of us understands vineyards, you'll get this. For a lot of us, uh, we grew up in, in places like here, and now there are vineyards around, but not that, it hasn't been that long. I grew up in San Angelo. Uh, you know, you've got to water your cactus most years, so no vineyards out there. This is kind of abstract. To the disciples, it's not. They're walking past these things as they go. Now, I've read, only read, but I've read that wine back then that came from Israel actually wasn't very good <laughs> for whatever reason. It wasn't all that great, but... They still grew it because it was seen and its abundance was seen, and you see this throughout the Old Testament, as a sign of God's blessing. And so the, the more, uh, the healthier the, the vines were, the more there was wine available, whether that was new wine, which would have none to very low alcohol, or whether that was aged wine, which would have closer to what we have now. Uh, regardless, it was seen as a symbol of God's blessing, a symbol of God's not just blessing you with crops, but His blessing of, your, of the nation of Israel overall. Okay? And that goes back to some of the promises in Deuteronomy and things like that of how God would bless them with, you know, we think of oil, wine, milk, honey, all of those images. You remember when they went to the promised land, this is one of the things that God said they would find was this blessing there of these things. So this is all like right around them. 
When he talks about you know, those, those branches that are unfruitful will be cut off, as we'll read here in a second, and pruned. They were probably walking on pruned branches along the sidewalk as they went. All very fresh in their minds. So with that in your heads, let's read this together. John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man or no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you would love, it would love you as its own. And, it, and excuse me, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will pers- excuse me. If they persecuted me, they will persecute. Wow, there you are. Persecute. There's a new word for you this morning. They will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had, done, if I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles and yet have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All right, so a little bit of a long reading, but, but all a, a, a cohesive chunk, so I wanted to get all of that in there. This imagery he starts out with is one that's common in their history. So this wasn't, this wasn't a new image, but Jesus kind of co-opts it in a new way. The imagery of a vine, again, was an imagery of God's blessing among them, that life flowed through the vine into Israel and became a national symbol. In the time of the Maccabees, that's between Malachi and Matthew, in the empty spot in your Bible, the little blank page in there. In the time of the Maccabees, uh, they had coins. 
And, and the coins of the Maccabees actually had, representing Israel, the vine, the grapevine. And, and the symbolism was that this is, we are the people of God, that we are the ones with the covenant of God. He blesses us and life throw, flows through God, through Israel. And life is found just right here. This is where God's blessing is. And that was a symbol on their coin. Herod's temple, if you were there at the time of Jesus, for example, and, and they would have just been able to glance over their shoulder back as they're having this walk at the entrance of the temple in the stone, carved in the stone and covered over with gold were the same grapevines going up the doorposts around the, the entrance to, the, to Herod's temple. And that was the same symbolism that life comes through Israel, that God's blessing is over Israel. And so it just had, again, that, that symbolism of blessing. And so one of the things that Jesus says at the very beginning, you notice, is I am not just the vine. I am the true vine. And so he's not just picking a metaphor out of the air. He's saying, you believe that because you are part of Israel, that you are God's people because Israel's the vine. It's through Israel that God does all his blessing. He says, but I'm telling you, not anymore. I, Jesus, am the true vine. Israel isn't enough. You need to come to God through me. And it is through me that all those blessings will come. And so that's, that's part of what he is telling them when he says, I am the true vine. That, that word there is important. That's why he, he inserted it. And so he's trying to get them to understand the bigger picture. Real blessing from God comes through Jesus. And then he goes on with the story. Let's look at it again. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So he brings in this imagery of pruning. Also, not unusual. If you go back to the Old Testament and you see the imagery of the vine, you can go to Isaiah chapter 5 or you can go to Psalm 80 or you can look at the book of Ezekiel. I'm not going to tell you the chapter in Ezekiel. It's 30 some odd chapters. Go home and do your homework. And you always got to leave one out so people have to search. You know, it's just the way it ought to be. So, Isaiah 5, Psalm 80, and the book of Ezekiel. You will find this imagery of the vine. And you will see it both positive and negative. You'll see it where God is saying that life is coming through me into Israel and you are going to be blessed and you're going to bless the world. And, and so, there's that imagery. Your fruits will then bless the rest of the world. But in Psalm 80, you also see negative, where God says, listen, I did all of this right. I planted, I cleared the grounds, I made your vines grow and produce and bear fruit, but you were unfaithful to me, and you produced fruit, and you, just, you didn't keep up the garden, and you didn't keep all of this the way it was supposed to be. And the next thing you knew, even the hogs from the countryside were coming in. A bunch of feral hogs. It's like problems in a Texas vineyard, I bet. A bunch of feral hogs coming in and eating my grapes. And God said, I'm not happy about this, and I'm not going to bless you because of this. So there, you see it positive and negative. So the imagery even of pruning was not unusual. Jesus is using something they knew and understood something that they had already been both blessed and rebuked by in the past. He says, you know God's the master gardener. You know that whenever a vine, a branch rather, is unfruitful, what does any good... What's a guy who runs the vineyard? We're going to say gardener. I'm sticking with gardener. Any good gardener... All of a sudden, vintner? I couldn't remember. Uh, any, any good gardener is going to prune those vines so that they produce more. 
Otherwise, what happens? They just grow out scraggly, like my hedges if you've driven by this week, because I was too busy washing dishes, right? So, you know, you got all of these. It just goes crazy, and it's unfruitful, and it doesn't look great. Anybody ever seen a, a peach tree? They're good about this. Or the peach tree in a good year of rain, and it produces a whole lot of fruit, which is wonderful, but what does it do? Yeah, and so you end up having to prop up the branches because it's so fruitful. Klein Payton, who started the Sunset School of, of Preaching, he used to use that imagery because he had walked into a, 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 an orchard one time and found this tree that was absolutely killing itself because it was so fruitful. He said, that's what I want to be because of John 15. I want to be so fruitful that the Lord has to put, put props up under my branches just to keep me, myself from breaking apart under all of the good fruit that I've borne. Well, you get that through good gardening. You don't get that by accident. God doesn't leave us just by accident to either produce or not produce. He will prune. And that happens in lots of different ways. Jesus understands that they're going to understand and that we're going to understand. He does it in lots of ways. On the individual level, there will be things that are in our life that simply don't belong. Well, they may be even be things where we consider growth. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But where it doesn't accomplish God's kingdom task. It doesn't save souls. It doesn't build up the brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't help your family to come to Jesus. It doesn't accomplish what needs to be accomplished in a kingdom way. And so what does God do? No, we don't need that. And there will be times He does that in our lives. Whether that's pursuits we have that, that may not be evil in and of themselves, but trump our devotion to Christ, God wants that pruned. If it is sinful, something that would not only endanger our own eternity, but could even lead somebody else to stumble, what does He do? He says, it would be better for you to enter into heaven with one eye or with one hand than to enter into hell with both. What's He talking about? Pruning. There are things in your life you have to get rid of sometimes. So He says, God's a gardener. And if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a part of me, if you're going to remain in me, get used to the idea there will be times where God looks at something in your life and says, no, nah, I don't need that anymore. Never did. Don't want it. And how do you think that feels? Not good. Maybe it feels good to you. It doesn't feel good to me. There's, some, there's sometimes that's hard. There are times where it's painful. Maybe it's something you, you actually you know, were really attached to. Maybe it's something you really wanted to get rid of but didn't know how. You needed God's help to do it. Either way, that can be really tough, can it? And so he says, you remember when you're going through that, whenever God is saying, get rid of this, and it starts doing the sniffing, whether it's individually or as a congregation or as the full kingdom of all Christians, just remember God has a purpose in this. He needs to cut off at times. They were about to go through a time where God was going to do that with, with the entire nation of Israel. He was going to do that with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees and with the priests. And it was going to be a painful period in their history. And it was going to take some serious readjustment. But why is Jesus saying God's doing it? It's not out of punishment. It's not out of favoritism or the opposite of that. It's not out of any of that. He wanted the people of God, the true kingdom of God, to be more fruitful and to accomplish His purpose and His task. And sometimes that comes through difficult, sometimes trying ordeals but you keep your eye on the end game. Sometimes it's hard to be fruitful. Sometimes it takes change that's tough to be fruitful, but God has a purpose in it. God has a plan in it, and we need to trust Him, and that's really where it comes down to. One of the things that you notice, I, this jumped out at me like never before in preparing for today, um, was it just kind of jumped out at me how many times Jesus kept saying, I am, the Father is, 
so you are. I do, the Father does, so you do. I will, the Father will, so you will. He just keeps coming back to that same kind of a pattern of there's me, there's the Father, and there's you. And I want, I've been like the Father. I want you to be like me. And so there, he just keeps drawing back to that. Whenever Jesus keeps repeating himself like that, we need to really pay attention. And one of the things that I think we ought to see is that what he's saying is here is he's not just giving us an assignment. I want you to go bear fruit. It's not just barking orders. You know, get out there, be fruitful. Which to us, honestly, a lot of times we sit there and go, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to be more fruitful for Jesus. And we walk out to the parking lot, we look around and go, how do you be more fruitful? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And that, that's tough. But if you read between those lines, that, that continual pattern of here's who the Father is, here's who I am, therefore here's who you are to be, you actually get the instructions of how to be more fruitful. And uh, it's kind of like a three-legged stool. Okay? And kind of a, we're going to mix metaphors this morning all over the place. But it's like a three-legged stool. And what we're trying to accomplish is what he wants to accomplish, that we bear more fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will bring God glory. Okay? So if I want to be more fruitful, how am I going to do that? And what, what does it even mean, fruitful? Let's handle that one first. Fruitfulness is expanding the borders of the kingdom of God. It's growing both individually and together as the people of God. Not just in number. It's both. It's not, it's not either or. It's both and. But growing in our maturity, growing in our witness, in our testimony. We'll get a little bit more to that. It's, it's, it's seeing God's kingdom spread and more and more people know the grace of Jesus Christ and building each other up. Hey, you could, I know people have sometimes said, well, it's kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. It's all, yes, all of these things. It's not either or. Everything God wants His people to be, everything God wants His people to do, fruitfulness. Okay? How do we get there? Because that's big. That's a hard task to, to wrap our minds around. How do we get there? It's these three legs of the stool. The first one is what I just mentioned. He keeps saying, I, the Father, and you. I, the Father, and you. It's all about relationship. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. We remain in the Father. Life will flow through me, from the Father, through me, into you, and then you will bear fruit. So a, a natural growth comes from your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the first leg of the stool. Now, a three-legged stool, the reason we're looking at it is, if you take out any leg of a three-legged stool, what happens? Oh, I thought somebody was going to just show me. That, you know, that would have been fun. Oh, maybe somebody dumped, dumped, dumped the person next to him out. <laughs> Watch out, Steve. Buddy's behind you. He's got ideas. I can see it. The, <laughs> but you, you fall over, right? And, and it, that's, that's the way it is. Somebody kicks out. Have you ever had that happen? Because I have. Okay? Uh, it's, it's not a pretty sight. Relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the first thing he says. If you remain in me, how do we remain? Well, that's maintenance of a relationship, any relationship. There's going to be communication. That's prayer and listening, both through the Word, through time meditating on the Word, all of those things. But you're going to, you're going to speak with and listen to God through Jesus Christ. This is basic stuff, but listen, we struggle most with the basic stuff, don't we? There aren't... Many of us in the room who struggle with going out and shooting somebody this afternoon. Thank the Lord. But we sometimes struggle with spending time with our Father in prayer, with regularly being in His Word, learning what He wants from us, learning how He's blessed us, learning how He wants to see fruit in our lives, fruit that will last. 
You know, those four human dimensions are a part of that fruit too. The four human dimensions are that you, every, everyone, regardless of time, culture, anything, everyone wants to live, to learn, to love, and to leave a legacy. Well, how do we learn how to do any of that stuff? Watch Jesus because He's doing what the Father's done and He wants us to do what He's done. You know, God the Father, Christ the Son, now you get after it. So that's what we look at, relationship. The other leg, the second leg, is what He said. Now, there's a line here I can't just gloss over at all because it's just one of my absolute favorites. Let's go down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, that, that sounds like it's a conditional thing. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. You don't do what I say, I don't like you. That's what that sounds like. Let me challenge you to look at this maybe a little bit different way. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. What are His commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He ups his game. Actually, he ups our game here and says, I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. So is it him saying, if you don't do exactly like I like, I'm not going to like you? Or is it God saying, if you will do what I said, love the Lord, love your neighbor? The natural outflow of that is, you'll be in my love because your entire life will be love. So it's not a bullying thing. You gotta, if you want me to love you, you've got to do everything just exactly the way I said. It's actually, if you do what I say, the natural outcome will be that you're going to live a life of the love of God. You're going to be in my love. You, that will be your whole life experience will be the love of God because you're loving others and you're loving God. Does that make sense? So chew on, chew on that one for a bit. This is, this is the other leg of the stool. You love one another. And you think about it. If fruitfulness is helping other people to come to know Jesus, helping other people to come to know His grace, and in our own life, living a life of love, following His commands, and being a loving person, one who exhibits all those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that good stuff, right? If that's who we are, does just those two things, a relationship with God and loving one another, don't you already start to see why the natural outcome would be fruitfulness that will last? Wouldn't that already just absolutely change our world if we even only had those two legs going pretty good? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? How much different would I be? How much different would you be? How much different would we be together if just those two legs of the stool were what they ought to be? But it goes further. There's one other leg that he gets at. At the end of the chapter, he says, uh, verse 26, when the, is that where I want to go? I feel like I've jumped something. Let me read it right quick. Yes. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about Me, and you also must testify. This is the third leg of the stool. There's a reason for it. The third leg is, the Spirit, of course, is going to do His work, and He's going to testify about who Jesus is. But He says to the disciples, and I think by extension to us, you also need to testify. Now, there is a difference in that they, he's telling them, I need you to testify because you've actually seen me from the very beginning. We haven't, but we do have the testimony of those who have. And we've seen the Lord work in our own lives. So we do have a testimony. And he says that's the next step. A relationship with God, love for one another and for your neighbor, and then open your mouth and actually get out there and tell people why. I mentioned this before. It's so important. If we only stick to these, I have a relationship with God and I love my neighbor. It's, it, it's possible that people may end up thinking that we're just really nice people for our own self. Oh, they're really great. They're really nice. They love me. What's missing from that? That sounds nice. That sounds good. But what's missing from that? 
No one comes to Christ because you're just a nice person. They go to their grave saying, he was a great neighbor, she was a nice teacher, it was all good. At some point, we had the obligation. He uses the word must. He says, yes, the Spirit's going to do His job, but the Spirit isn't the only one I'm calling to work. He says, you also must testify. I'm glad you think, you know, I'm a nice person, but let me tell you why, because I haven't always been. Jesus came into my life and changed me from a cranky, angry, bitter, whatever. That testimony is what actually then fertilizes and causes the growth. Because it's what says, this isn't just about me, this is to the glory of God. And when you get these three legs of the stool going, or I guess, you know, I, I should have stuck with a gardening metaphor. We could, have had, we could have had sunlight, water, and nitrogen, and we would have been working, right? And I could have done it, and I forgot. So just now, hmm, that just happens sometimes. But when you get these three things all there together, what do you naturally get? Growth. Growth. When you get the right soil, water, and sunlight, you naturally, we're switching, you naturally get, you just uh, preaching on the fly, then you naturally get the growth that you were seeking. And no one has to shout at the vine, hey, grow! When those are all three there, what does the vine do? It grows. The fruitfulness isn't a question. God may still need to prune off a few wild branches every now and then. There may be things that even in our best moments, we still have something over here, you know, crankiness or something over here that we really need God to deal with. And He's still going to prune to make us more fruitful. But when you have a, an active relationship with God, when you are loving one another and your neighbor as God has loved you, and when you are willing to speak up and say, this isn't about me, it's about Jesus, and He has something for you too, whatever you see that might be any good in my life, God wants to give you too, then you start to see growth. You start to see things change in a way that we can't just sit there and, and, and shout and make it happen. We can't force, we can't program, you can't do any of that. This is growth that actually starts to come naturally. And Jesus just revealed it to us right here in John 15. These three things. And what did the disciples do? They loved one another. They had a vibrant relationship with God. And they testified about Jesus and what happened. They turned the world upside down. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in their lifetimes. And remember, there were only 12 of them that he's making this walk with. 11. One of them's already left. 11 of them that he's making this walk with that we know of for sure. He turns the world upside down. Well, Jesus has more than that in this room. What can he do? Same Jesus. Same relationship. Same love. Same testimony. What can Jesus do? with a room this full. And we might look around the room and go, well, it's emptier than usual. doesn't matter. You know what? Their room was emptier than usual. They'd already had a bunch of people run scared. And what did Jesus do? You get those three things, I'll tell you what, you won't have to ask that question. You will see Jesus do as He's done before through His people. Now, I want to go back to the middle of what He said as we close. And this goes back, I want to start in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, in the Greek, I don't want to get too in the Greeky on you too much very often, but this is too good not to get into. In the Greek, that little period where it says, no greater love has anyone than that has, yeah, no greater love is there than this. Wow. Has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And right in my Bible, this is the NIV, there's a period. That period isn't there. And that's not because the NIV, I think they all have it. But that period's not really there in the original language. That's just where they thought translating to English, that's probably the place where it ought to be. Let's read it, not with a period, but with a comma. 
And all the English teachers just went, oh boy, we get to change punctuation. And you know the impact. Look here and read this again. Greater love has no one in this. They lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's radical if you hear it. Greater love has no one in this that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. You're my friends, Jesus tells us. This morning, God is calling every single one of us to this kind of fruitfulness, to live a life that is such that when our bodies descend to the grave and our spirits to the Father, that we leave behind not just a house and a garage sale, but that we leave behind a legacy of faith in people in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in the world around us. And he says, listen, I'm not telling you this just to bear on you some great big command and burden. I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm laying my life down for you. If you want to be at the end of your life able to say, I am broken by my fruitfulness. They had to prop up my arms with two by fours for everything that the Lord blessed through my life. He calls you this morning both to put Him on in baptism and give you a new life of fruitfulness. As Christians, a lot of us are already Christians, He calls you this morning to leave here with a commitment to a relationship with Him that is deep and healthy. To leave here with a greater commitment to loving your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors and to open your mouth and tell people why. Why do you follow Jesus? Why are you letting Him change things in your life like this? And why is it like that? That's what you want to embrace this morning if you haven't already. If you want people to pray with you, we will pray with you, pray for you, as long as you pray for us too. That's the deal, right? We both, because we both will need it. That's what we're called to. If you want to make that commitment this morning, you can do so as we stand and as we sing. The